Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Brit Pack is back. Show number 28, featuring Fighting Talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head, and joining me, as always, is my wingman, podcast-inspiring partner, social media fiend, and uh, man for all seasons, Mr. Chimakar Sandu. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, sir. Speaking of all seasons... Uh, apparently, in some parts of London, specifically Kew Gardens, it was 18 degrees today. Can you believe that? Get 18 short, degrees. Get the shorts out. Get the shorts exactly. out. Exactly. Summer, summer is here, mate. Get the suntan lotion out. Get, get the lollipops and all sorts. I'll be. I'll just. I'll just look white rather than my usual pale blue, <laughs> which is my normal colour. So, looking forward to that. We're. Uh, it's. It's. We're kind of between shows right now. We had UFC Fight Night this past weekend uh, in Nova Scotia, Canada. But we've got a bit of a gap as we lead into the next big show. So what we're going to do this week, we're going to take a look back at UFC Fight Night Halifax. There weren't that many expectations going into that event, but it really did deliver. It was a superb event on all, on all counts. Spectacular fight card, great performances on the card, and a main event that just produced more talking points than you can shake a stick at. So we will look back at that. Uh, I was at the Indigo at the O2 on Saturday night. For Cage Warriors 80, we'll have a quick chat about that. We'll also touch upon the events later that night in San Jose, California, uh, as Bellator were all set to host one of the biggest fights that they'd ever staged, only for a kidney stone to render Matt Mitrione versus Fedor Emelianenko uh, and basically lose it off the card. It's been postponed. It's going to happen again further down the line, but uh, we'll talk about that as well. Got a few other bits and pieces to share with you, and of course, we will answer your questions in our weekly Q and A. But let's launch straight into it, Sandy. UFC Fight Night Halifax. These these are tricky cards for us British-based UFC fans. Who it, it's 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 a long night watching a Fox UFC card at the best of times. When it's on a Sunday night and you've got to get up for work on a Monday, that really does require some serious commitment and. Uh, that, you know these Fox Fight Night cars don't always return the favour when it comes to great fights. We've we've not had some some superb events for a while in terms of the Fox shows. This one was awesome. I thought it delivered on all fronts. I know you uh, you had an early start on Monday, so you had to you had to get a bit of kip in early doors, didn't you? Absolutely, I did. Uh, so I, I didn't see the prelims, uh, but I did get up for for the main card only. And and to your point, you know normally I can I can check the, the you know I can gauge the temperature. With regards to how many of our fellow, you know, the UK members of the MMA community are, are up uh, and kind of engaging um, with me or with us uh, on social media, you know, during the fights, and it, and on Sundays it noticeably always drops, uh, and I can get why I think the UFC does these Sunday shows uh, traditionally through the NFL season where they're trying to leverage off maybe a big American football game, um, but now with the Super Bowl come and gone, I just don't know what they got to piggyback on top of this. So, yeah, Sunday cards, it's uh, pretty tough uh, to kind of watch it, especially live. Um, so, yeah, so for me, it was just the main card, and I went back to bed. Well, you got up for a pretty decent main card. Now, sometimes when you look back on a fight card and you just sort of scan down the results, it can be a bit misleading because you take a look at the fight card, the, uh, the main card from last night, and you run down that fight card, and uh, we had three decisions on the spin. And sometimes it's easy to sort of see that and think, 
okay, three decisions, you know, it wasn't that interesting. All three of those fights were, were pretty interesting to watch. But let's kick things off with the main event, the big talking points of the weekend for sure. The Black Beast himself, Derek Lewis, uh, somebody who's become a little bit of a cult hero uh, within the space of the last 12 to 18 months, has catapulted himself into legitimate contender status, I think. Destroyed Travis Brown, knocked him out second round, three and a bit minutes. Wasn't going his way early on, looked like he was really suffering with some kicks to the body. And at that point, I've got to be honest, I thought that fight was was not going to last much longer. I thought Brown was going to finish him there and then, but Lewis came back brilliantly. One of the most brutal, brutal knockouts I've seen in the UFC for quite some time. And a, a terrible stoppage by referee Mario Yamasaki. But first off, let's talk about Derek Lewis, Sandu. That was, that was a breakout performance from him. I know there's been a bit of hype behind him. He's got a lot of momentum behind him. But now he's for real. I think people now know that he's... He's legit at the top of this UFC heavyweight division. Yeah, and that's his uh, second um, main event um, back-to-back and uh, in the space of a couple of months, which is which is incredible. This guy, his star just continues to rise. Uh, at first, it was just kind of his social media presence, and, you know, he was he started to, you know, get a few wins together. But now it's all about, you know, his performances, and I think the Travis Brown uh, victory was the kind of rubber stamp on his uh, on his, on the six fight win streak he's now put together five of which have come by way of knockout or TKO he's let me just have a look he's currently ranked uh, number 8 i would like to think that that performance is going to probably propel him into that number 5 spot ahead of him right now you've got Mark Hunt Francis Ngannou and Ben Rothwell um, if he's not in in, the, in within the top 5 he's definitely going to be in and around about there and i think now, he said he wants to take maybe three months off um, just to kind of, you know, relax a little bit, you know, unwind, uh, maybe work on his game uh, and maybe, you know, to partake in some extracurricular activities. Get some sex, um, basically, what you said. Yes, <laughs> yeah, in no uncertain words. Um, but um, but then and then come back and then I think maybe make a, make a run for it in the second half of this year, uh, see if he can get... I think the next fight has to be a number one contenders fight for him. Now, whether that's up against somebody like, I don't know, an Overeem Velasquez, maybe a Rothwell type of fighter. I was just, there's some people that are calling for Ngannou. I don't want to see Lewis Ngannou just yet. No. I want to savor that. Maybe just maybe see that somewhere further down the road. Um, but it was an absolute breakout uh, performance. That that This is the one. That's the one that's put him um, on the map. Uh, it was a it was a hell of an entertaining post fight interview uh, to boot, and and he's definitely a character, and you can't get enough characters in the UFC, especially in the heavyweight division. And it's not every day you get a heavyweight that puts six wins together like this. So I think now the UFC needs to put the rocket boosters on him and just launch him to the moon. Yeah, definitely. You take a look at some of the names in that six fight run, and they're kind of middle of the road UFC heavyweights. The ones that stand out are obviously the the split decision win against Roy Nelson, the only guy to have taken him the distance uh, in this in this particular run of form, and obviously this weekend's uh, brutal stoppage of Travis Brown. I think if you can get past Roy Nelson and if you can knock out Travis Brown in the way that he did, I think you have to take this guy seriously. I know um, he might not be the most refined uh, sort of um, athlete or 
sort of technician inside the octagon. But when you're a heavyweight, that really doesn't always matter. You just go in there, you can impose your will on, on other people and produce performances like that. Because from a technical standpoint, he was distinctly second best in that fight. Travis Brown came into it with a really good game plan, using his length, using his kicks in particular, and was doing a really good job. I thought he, he was fighting from a tactical perspective, was doing things almost exactly how I would have expected him to. Um, but then Lewis just decided he'd had enough um, and decided he was going to walk through some of that stuff from Brown. Once he got his hands on him, the fight completely changed. You mentioned who he could potentially fight next. Uh, Mark Hunt is fighting Alistair Overeem at UFC 209. I'd like to see him face the winner of that. I think that would be that would make a lot of sense because I don't think the winner of the Hunt Overeem fight is going to automatically get a title shot next. I think Vadum and Velasquez obviously ranked above those two, um, and JDS is taking on Stipe next. So you would think that. Whoever wins that Overeem Hunt fight is going to need at least one more win in order to get themselves into a title fight. Why not make that the fight with Derek Lewis and the winner of that then finds themselves in that number one contender spot? That would make a lot of sense to me. But uh, Derek Lewis is a is a is a funny guy. He's uh, he's 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 a bit of a cult hero. Not always the most appropriate um, of things to say in a post fight interview, but. It got people talking, and I suppose in fight sports, that is probably the second most important thing besides winning, is getting people talking about you, and uh, he certainly achieved that this weekend, both with his performance and with what he said afterwards. Good performance from Derek the Black Beast Lewis, a good performance too from Johnny Big Rig Hendricks in the co-main event. I've got to be honest, Sando, I thought he was going to get beat on Sunday night by uh, by Hector Lombard. But Hendricks grew into that fight. I think he probably lost the opening round, but I think he grew into that fight and uh, looked by far the better guy going down the stretch. Lombard, notorious for not having the deepest gas tank in the, in the UFC. Very explosive early on. Hendricks was quite wary of that. Uh, rode out that early round. And then, on my card at least, won rounds two and three. Interestingly, two of the judges scored him thirty twenty-seven, which I found a little interesting. I didn't think he'd won. I didn't think he won all three, but I did think he won the fight. I thought it was, it was good to see a happy Johnny Hendricks back in the octagon again. It, last few fights, he's looked like someone who sort of fallen out of love with the sport a little bit. But he looked. We've seen glimpses now of someone who looks a lot happier, and uh, be interesting to see what happens with Hendricks because. He's not a big middleweight, and some I think it was being commented on during the fights that he may have one of the shortest reaches in the UFC middleweight division. And you compare him with someone like a Luke Rockhold or someone like that, he's going to look quite small by comparison. But he's happy at that weight class, and it'd be interesting to see how he does. But he did well on Saturday against a very dangerous guy in Hector Lombard. Yeah, he did. I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything there. Uh, not much more to add there from me, apart from the fact that I picked him to win. I didn't think he'd have to take him to the distance, Lombard, but he, had, but he did eventually. Um, I thought he might be able to clip Hector Lombard, uh, only because Lombard has lost recently quite a few times by, by knockout or TKO. And I, and I thought that a middleweight, um, without being so, uh, I suppose, um, de-energized by the weight cut, he might be able to kind of um, you know, generate the power and the momentum at some points throughout the fight uh, to to kind of get that knockout blow. He didn't eventually in the end, 
but what he did display was a lot of cardio, and he talked about that in his post-fight interview. Um, and I think he'll hopefully be able to grow into this weight class. Uh, it'll be tough to match him up, um, and I think that's where Sean Shelby is going to have to be really careful how you, um, you know, play with Johnny Hendricks as a matchmaker. Because I, I agree. I think if you just chuck him straight into the deep end now with a, a Chris Weidman or a Luke Rockhold, someone who's, you know, uh, a tall, um, legitimate middleweight. I mean, some of these guys are cutting down. Some of these guys could be legitimate light heavyweights that are cutting down a hell of a lot of weight to hit that 185 mark. Um, I, I think j- j- he'll just be outsized. Um, so give him some time to let him grow into this weight class and just figure things out. No, he won't have the reach advantage, uh, but you know we saw some really good stuff from him in the clinch, some really good display of, of technical wrestling there. Um, he was def- able to defend the takedown against an Olympic-level judo athlete in Hector Lombard very, very well, um, and I thought that you know there were some displays in the clinch and in the pocket that he did all right. So you know it, I think the main thing for him was just to get the W, um, and, it, and it kind of gets him back on that uh, positive track now, and he can start to build from that. Um, so, again, I think a lot of people in the uh, MMA community were really happy uh, for Johnny Hendricks because he's had a rough time over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And interesting to see, as you say, what, what Sean Shelby will do with him for his next fight. I think one potential option could be against a guy who also won on that main card on Saturday night, Elias Theodoru, who who defeated Cesar Ferreira um, by unanimous decision, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. I thought Ferreira might just have nicked that fight, to be honest with you, but I've got a few of these uh, judges' decisions wrong over the course of the night. But uh, Theodoru got the nod. He might be a good opponent for, for Johnny Hendricks. Someone else who sprang to mind, if they want to put him in there with a ranked middleweight, Obviously, Hector Lombard, obviously very dangerous, and if he competed regularly at uh, at middleweight, he may well be ranked, but uh, I don't think he is at the moment. Uh, Sam Alvey, smiling Sam Alvey might be an interesting matchup. You know, two guys who both like to bang, I think think that that might be an interesting matchup as well. But um, as you say, I think the size differential with some of the the really big guys in that division might prove a little too much for Big Rig, but... uh, Hopefully, hopefully we see a, a few more a few more good performances out of him, and who knows, maybe he can fight his way up that one one hundred eighty five pound division. Someone who's looking to fight his way up the one hundred forty five pound division is Gavin Tucker, who I'll be honest with you, I knew virtually nothing about going into this event. Taking on Sam Cecilia, who is known for being a, a heavy handed slugger, and you don't want to stand in front of him for too long because he has he has got some serious power in his hands. Gavin Tucker did a basically did a Cody Garbrandt on him and just ran rings round him for three for for, for three rounds, thirty twenty seven on all three cards, in his hometown of Halifax in in Canada, and uh, he looks like one to watch. Sandu, I was really impressed with him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just one of many really young up and coming featherweights, and the featherweight division is just amazing right now. It's just brewing with so much young talent and. It's going to be amazing to see some of these young kids uh, over the course of the next three or four years and watch them mature as fighters. And I, and I think the best, of course, is still yet to come. Uh, but it was a great you know, debut for Tucker, uh, especially in Halifax, like you said, Simon, in his, in his backyard, in his hometown. Definitely got the pop of the night. Uh, the crowd were really you know, you know, behind him. And, and in fact, I was looking on social media 
He's not a pro- prolific tweeter, but the last time he did tweet was two years ago, where uh, the last time when UFC was in Halifax, and he was trying to get on the card then. Uh, didn't manage to get it done then, uh, but he was certainly uh, you know, in the mix on the main card this time around. And uh, it was a really, really uh, dominant, one-sided, entertaining uh, performance. Uh, he was able to kind of sh- you know showboat a little bit, not too much because we, we, we I think we, everyone by now would have seen uh, sometimes what too much showboating can get you in this sport. Um, I actually picked Hamza Silly to win uh, uh, pr- you know, prior to the fight. Um, I didn't really know too much about Tucker like you, Simon, and I thought at some point that Sam you know would have you know hit that left hook that he loves to hit at some point during the fight, but uh, it was all Tucker, and he kind of made Sam Silly look really really old and weathered there. Um, so yeah, a really good performance there from Tucker. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I think they were like two rounds in or a round and a half in, and they put up the uh, the punch stats. I think Cecilia landed three strikes the entire fight up to that point. You know, like round and a half, two rounds, incredible stuff. Tucker just always presenting a moving target, incredibly difficult to hit. And I, as I say, I didn't know much about him going in, and I, I certainly raised my eyebrows when I saw the card placement. Seeing that particular fight so high up the card, I was thinking, well, why have they put that fight there when there's the likes of Theodoru and McMahon and Felder and even the random Marcos-Carla Esparza fight significantly further down the card? But now it makes total sense. Gavin Tucker looks the real deal. And as you say, you can throw him straight in the mix with... I think Featherweight's got to be the most talent-rich division. I know probably... Six to eight months ago, we were talking about the lightweights being the strongest, but I think they've probably been overtaken now. The uh, featherweight division looks seriously, seriously talent stacked. And they're all young guys on the way up as well. So lots to look forward to at £145. Mentioned Elias Theodoru getting a win over Cesar Fajera, 30-27, Little side note, uh, I, I think it was a British fan um, actually tweeted him in the lead up to the fight and said, uh, if you win and give me a shout out on the mic, I will get a tattoo of your face and your beautiful hair. So straight away, after he won the fight, before he even talked about the fight pretty much, uh, Elias took the opportunity to look straight down the camera lens, uh, call out the chap in question, who, um, according to Elias, he's going to fly him out to uh, to Canada to get it done out there. So he gets a the the the, uh, the guy gets a trip to Canada out of it, which is no no bad thing. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Catch weight fight. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. Go on. Yeah. Before. I... Yeah, yeah. No worries. I mean, not not much. Not too much to add. I mean, apart from the fact that I think Elijah Theodora has got a very awkward, uh, you know, weird fighting style. It's very unorthodox. It's not the kind of standard kind of uh, uh, fighting style you see out of anyone really. And, and I'm still. Honestly, I'm still personally trying to wrap my head around what he's trying to do at times in the octagon. And at times I do feel quite scared for him because I I think he leaves himself open. And I think, you know, at some point he's going to find himself in front of an elite killer of a striker. um, And it might be night night for him at some point down the road because I just I just I'm not really feeling too confident about his fighting style. Away from the cage, top lad. We spent some time with him in Belfast, um, behind the scenes. Great guy. Um, I really do feel as though he needs to, um, I don't know, work on some things uh, with Faraz Zahabi and the rest of the crew there at TriStar. Um, Because, like I said, I think right now, 
the way um, Sean Shelby and the folks there have uh, matchmaked him, it's been all right. But I think the further he kind of gets up the ladder there, I think um, I think he'll get exposed. Uh, but for on, on the night, it was a good win, especially uh, you know in Canada. Always good to get a fellow countryman uh, a win. And who knows now with the return of GSP around the corner, you know perhaps you know GSP will bring a, a mega card back uh, to Montreal or Canada. And uh, some of these uh, Canadians that have been kind of you know, holding the heavy water in his absence can get a bit of the rub. Um, you know now with George Saint Pierre on the comeback. Yeah, he's very, uh, very unique style of fighting, Elias Theodoro. But the one thing he hasn't been able to do is parlay that into stoppage finishes. I think if if you're that unorthodox, but you can finish people, I think that kind of works in your favour. But I think, as you say, I think there, ne- there needs to be another level to what he's doing. He's um, he's certainly got a lot of fans. He's very popular on social media. He's very engaging on social media, and as you say. Uh, you know, we were fortunate to spend a bit of time with him over in Belfast, and he is a he's a genuinely nice guy. But uh, I think we're we're getting to the stage where they're going to need to test him against a a top ten a top ten guy, and uh, then I think we'll see just you know just how far he might be able to go in the sport. Someone who looks like they they've really kicked up a gear, and they seem destined for a title shot eventually. Sarah McMahon, Sarah McMahon, who seems to have found. A completely another level to her game in the last couple of performances. She put Alexis Davis away very, very convincingly last time round. She fought Gina Mazzani, who was making a UFC debut. Uh, she was in the tough house, but didn't didn't quite make it all the way through to the final. But she's undefeated in professional fights. The fights in the tough house are technically uh, exhibition fights, so they don't count towards your record. Um, but she handed Gina Mazzani her first ever loss. It lasted just 74 seconds. Arm triangle submission once again. And uh, Sarah McMahon looks the real deal right now. She looks like she's sharpened up her striking. Her wrestling, we already know, is elite level, having won an Olympic silver medal um, in freestyle wrestling. And she's got the submission skills to go with it. She looks she looks a serious threat at 135 pounds, Sandu. Yeah, she was the one I was probably most impressed with outside of perhaps Derek Lewis throughout the the main card. Um, not too long ago, you know, she got a couple of back-to-back losses against... Well, let, let's put it this way. Her three losses in the UFC have come at the hands of Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate and Amanda Nunes. Two of those are former UFC bantamweight champions and Amanda Nunes obviously is a current champion. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But aside from that, she's got this you know, three-fight win streak put together. But it's particularly the last two fights. The fight against Alexis Davis and Gina Mazzani this past weekend, where she's been able to really harness her jiu-jitsu with her wrestling, you know, get top control, get that arm triangle choking. And she just looks like a completely different fighter. And I'm really excited and intrigued to see where this kind of development goes throughout this year. She's calling for a title shot. I don't think she's going to get it. But I think she sh- her next fight should be in some sort of number one contenders um, fight to get the next title shot. Um, and I think the next time she does fight for the title, whether it's against Amanda Nunes or whoever the case may be, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, I think she's going to be much better prepared than she was the first time when she fought Ronda Rousey back at UFC 170. That was back in what, February 2014. So big ups to Sarah McMahon. Massive props to her. You know, she's now 36. She's been a career athlete 
and she's finally putting it all together, you know, and it's great to see. It's just great to see. You know, sometimes I think when you see athletes from different sports or from different parts of combat sports come in after they've already committed you know, the better part of a lifetime to one discipline, they come in and they're pretty one dimensional and they just can't put the other the elements of the game together. But she's taken her losses on her chin. She's gone to the gym and she's worked it all out. Like you said, she's improved her striking. She's definitely improved her jiu-jitsu. Uh, and I'm actually really, really excited to see how much further she can go now. Yeah, I think she's probably going to need to take one more fight before she gets into a title fight. Juliana Pena might be a good option for her. Pena's currently ranked third in the world. Um, she's coming off a loss to Shevchenko, but she's still very much right up there in the mix. Looking at the bantamweight rankings, which look all over the place, to be honest. Ronda Rousey is currently ranked number two. Holly Holm has dropped two spots from number two to number four. Quite how Holly Holm has dropped below Ronda Rousey in the bantamweight rankings is is slightly confusing to me, but there you go. Um, so you've got Shevchenko number one. She's going to fight Amanda Nunes. Rousey two. She's not likely to fight again, as far as we can make out. Pena three. Holm four. So... I think Pena would be a good fight. I think I think that would make a lot of sense. I think it makes sense for, for, for Pena, and I think it makes sense for McMahon. The winner of that can then slot in, possibly, as the next number one contender. But yeah, I was super impressed with the performance on Saturday night. And I was very impressed with the performance of Paul Felder, the Irish dragon. We mentioned Elias Theodorou. Um, we, you know, we had the chance to spend a bit of time with him over in Belfast. He was joined on that trip by Paul Felder, who proceeded to having heard about my needle phobia completely freaked the hell out of me by describing in far too vivid a detail the uh, the process of having his eyelids stitched up after a fight where he was oh, it was just horrible it was horrible um but he's 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 a good guy as well and uh, he's one hell of a fighter as well and he put on he put on a good performance against Alessandro Ricci um, who was a sizable underdog on that card, but was coming in with a fair amount of confidence. Felder just smashed him with a, a step-in elbow to the nose, which looked like it broke Richie's nose pretty much on impact, smelling around corners after that, and uh, ended up crumpled down against the fence where Felder just finished him off. Great performance from him. That was the main card. Uh, Felder picked up $50,000 for a performance of the night bonus for that. Uh, Tiago Santos also picked up $50,000 performance in the night bonus for his win on the preliminary card against Wales Jack Marshman. It was a picture-perfect spinning heel kick that landed pretty much on, on Marshman's ear and sent him to the mat. There was a lot of complaining on Twitter immediately after the finish where people were suggesting the referee had stepped in a little too early. My my initial thought was that it might have been a touch early, but having watched, I watched the first replay and thought, no, that I, th- I think that was a completely legitimate stoppage. Uh, Marshman was getting absolutely dinged on the mat as well. So I thought, I mean, how did you see that, Sandu? Because I know you, you've watched the replay, you know, you've watched that fight in particular since. I know you weren't up for that one and as, as it was live, but you, you've watched it since. Did you think that that stoppage was early or did you think it was fair? When I first saw it, I thought it was a little early. And then I watched it in slow motion and I saw, I saw it a couple of more times and I thought, well, actually, you know what? That was a good stoppage. Um, you know, I'd rather a referee stop it too early than too late. 
And, and I think this is the, the polar opposite of what we saw in the main event where Mario Yamasaki just was just pedestrian and getting, getting there to protect Brown after he was already uh, completely unconscious. And yet the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, raining down with more, with more punches, with ferocity. Um, in, the, in the Santos-Marshman fight, it was a good stoppage. Uh, Marshman was, was visibly rocked already um, by the spinning heel kick, which is a fantastic technique to see. How, I don't know why, but we're starting to see a lot more spinning heel kick finishes or you know, definitely seeing that you know, technique connect a lot more than we used to back in the day. So that's, that's fantastic to see. Very pleasing on the eye. Uh, but yeah, I had no problems at all with the stoppage in the end. Yeah, I thought Marshman was beginning to come into that fight as well. Santos started the better of the two. Then Marshman dropped Santos with a huge right hand, and it was right at the end of the round, I think. And it looked like the fight was gradually turning into his favour, and anyone who watches a Jack Marshman fight knows that he normally has to walk through quite a bit of punishment before he eventually gets his stuff off. Um, but he normally prevails in the end. And it, it felt to me that the fight was gradually moving towards Marshman. I felt he was growing into the fight and uh, Santos was beginning to struggle to deal with Marshman's sort of forward pressure. But then he, he produced that incredible, incredible spinning spinning heel kick and uh, it takes quite a bit to put Jack Marshman away and that was pretty damn impressive. Uh, an early contender for one of the knockouts of the year, for sure, from Thiago Moretta Santos. Um, just very quickly on that, on, on that uh, preliminary card, Eamon Zahabi, brother of Firas Zahabi, the, uh, the head coach of TriStar. He claimed a debut victory at bantamweight, defeating Reggiano Vieira by unanimous decision. I thought Vieira won that fight, <laughs> so there's another example of me getting it wrong. Um, but I, I, I scored that 29-28 for Vieira. It was a very, very close fight, but uh, Zahabi got got the, uh, the decision in Canada, uh, as did Random Marcos, who beat Carla Esparza, also, I thought Carla Esparza won that fight. Uh, the judges were split on that one. 29-28 uh, scores were, were, were submitted across the board. Two of them for Marcos, one of them for Esparza. Marcos and Esparza had a bit of a history in the Ultimate Fighter, Sandu. Um, Marcos was, had accused Esparza and some of her friends in the Tough House of bullying her. Um, and she gave a bit of a speech afterwards on the mic. And our friend Mike Bond from... Uh, MMA Junkie tweeted earlier today, um, there aren't many flights in and out of Halifax. And uh, Mike was on the same flight as some of the fighters. And uh, it turned out that due to, I'm sure, pure coincidence and unfortunate coincidence, Randa Marcos and Carla Esparza were basically sat on either side of the aisle on the same row as each other. So that would have been nice and, nice and awkward for the pair of them as they flew back. From, uh, from from Canada, but um, Random Marcos, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a solid performance, very strange fighting style, she changed her stance completely in that fight, uh, but she got the split decision win, and uh, the, the other prelim fight at the top of that card, good fight as well, Santiago Ponzinibbio defeating Nordin Taleb by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. That was UFC fight night in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, but we also had uh, Bellator at the weekend. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't watch it live because we struggled to get Bellator events live in the UK at the moment. I, we spoke to Scott Coker about it the other day, didn't we, Sandu? And 
it's all coming, isn't it? You know, they, you know, they're working on all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they are, and I guess you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna watch it, um, you're gonna have to find some kind of a means, whether it's illegal, illegal, uh, uh, you know, call it what you want. You know, I mean, unofficial. I technically unofficial. That's a good. That's a good term. Uh, you know, phrasing it. Um, but um, to be honest with you, Sai, I was actually gonna stay up for it. So I set my alarm, uh, went to bed early on Saturday night, like I normally do, to get my uh, to get a little nap in. Set my alarm uh, just in time for the main card to start. My alarm goes off. I scroll through my mentions on Twitter, find out that Matt Mitrione's got kidney stones and uh, the fight's off. And I'm like, right, well, well, that's that. Then I'm going to go back to bed. You know, and that was the main attraction. You know, uh, this is arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time making a comeback, uh, fighting on American soil after many, many years uh, on, a, on a major platform here in the U.S., against, you know, a, a real legitimate opponent in Matt Mitrione. And uh, I feel for Mitrione because this was, this was, was going to be, a, uh, I'm sure, a big payday for him. Uh, I'm sure it would have gone a long way if he had he, you know, been able to fight um, and beat Fedor to legitimize himself uh, and cement his legacy um, as, as a top heavyweight during his time in this sport. I've had kidney stones but when I was oh, really young. Yeah, the one of the most painful experiences of my entire life, no doubt about it. Um, and the relief once you finally, you know, get it out of your system and it passes through as you're as you're weeing away, uh, is it's oh, Jesus Christ, it's it's excruciating pain. And and I looked at um, Mitrione's um, mentions on social media, and I think he finally passed the stone while he was in Dallas airport. So he deposited the stone in Dallas. Um, so there you have that, and 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 it, from, from what it looks like, they're going to try and you know make the fight happen again in a couple of months' time back in San Jose. Um, but it's really unfortunate. I think Simon, you and me were talking about this a little bit before we started the show. It just felt like you know recently and and even forthcoming with their upcoming cards, Bellator are in a in a state of momentum where you know they're in the meet, they're in the news a hell of a lot. They're, they're making headlines, they're making waves, they're putting together some really interesting fights. Um, they're slowly but surely kind of getting away from some of the freak show fights of the past, and they're actually putting together um, legitimate fights um, with you know fighters who are arguably top ten, top fifteen, uh, top twenty guys, uh, and fighters who could arguably be in the UFC right now. So this is a little bit of a bump in the road for them. It'll be interesting to see um, how, how you know how the the show did on the on the US ratings on Spike TV. Also a little bit unfortunate, obviously I haven't seen the card, but I know the results, that the hometown boys, Josh Thompson and uh, you know Josh Koscheck, uh, being from San Jose, being so affiliated with the AKA team, uh, they both suffered losses. So that wouldn't have done good, especially um, in the SAP Center, the old Shark Tank Arena, um, being in San Jose, also Scott Coker's hometown. And I'm sure uh, you and me will talk about that and much more when uh, Bellator hold their second london press conference uh tomorrow so we record this on a monday they're going to be holding a press conference um with rory mcdonald paul daly uh michael venom page Derek anderson who is um michael venom page's opponent won't be there uh but bobby lashley uh will be there along with scott coker so um that takes place tomorrow and i'm sure we'll recap that all on next week's show but yeah like we were saying simon 
just a little bit of a bump on the road in what seems to have been some really a really real purple patch for Bellator as of late. Yeah, definitely. And it's good to hear that they're going to put that fight back on. And in San Jose as well. So the San Jose fight fans who were planning to enjoy watching Fedor's return will still get the chance to be there and do that. So sometimes when fights fall through, they end up being rescheduled for a different city as well. So, you know, the fact that they're coming back to San Jose, I think, is 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 is, is a good thing. The main event was Patricky Freer knocking out Josh Thompson uh, 40 seconds into the second round. Co-main event saw Czech Congo defeat Britain's own Ollie Thompson, smothered him for three rounds. Uh, 230-25 scores returned by the judges in that particular fight. Uh, the third one was 30-26. So you can tell that it was pretty one-sided. Uh, man to look out for, Anatoly Tokov. Uh, with a second round TKO, Francisco France. Anatoly Tokov was the ACB middleweight champion. That man is a straight killer. Watch out for him. I'll, I'll just mention that. He is a straight killer. Keep an eye out for him. And you mentioned, obviously, Josh Koscheck losing out. Uh, four minutes, 42 seconds he lasted uh, in that first round before he was eventually TKO'd by Mauricio Alonso. That was Bellator on Saturday night. I was in London on Saturday night, Sandu. We had uh, Cage Warriors 80 uh, Mm. took place on Saturday night. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was streamed on on UFC Fight Pass. uh, And Cage Warriors has a new welterweight champion. And it's a man that we're both familiar with. Carl Amasu, who went in there against Matt Inman, who is a a very well-seasoned, very well-seasoned fighter from the SBG Manchester team, who are producing a lot of really, really high-level guys at the moment. Uh, over here in the UK, but he got blasted by Carl Amasu, who uh, won the fight by TKO stoppage in the first round. I think that makes it something like six in a row. I think it's six in a row. Um, first round stoppages for Carl Amasu, who uh, donned a t-shirt saying, hey, UFC, it's time, and then gave a very emotional speech. He wants in the UFC. And uh, after a performance like that, I don't blame him. I think I think he deserves his shot. Um, you've seen Amasu perform in the past. What do you make of him, Sandu? Uh, he should be in the, he should have been in the UFC a while ago, in my opinion. I saw him fight last year um, in Finland, in Helsinki, uh, Euro FC, with their uh, to date one and only uh, MMA event. And um, yeah, he was phenomenal then. Uh, we were talking about this off off air before we started the show, Simon. You got guys like Kyle Amasu, Francis Ngannou, and and a couple of others. And it's a, it's a, so unfortunate that MMA isn't legal in France because I think you've got plenty of fighters um, who are who are performing on the world stage um, who could really lead the wave, introduce the sport to the next generation of fighters, uh, be role models, be Id- be idolised by the next generation of of fans and, and upcoming fighters, and really help get the sport to the next level. Uh, do all the, the the long yards, be the Michael Bisping of, of England and the Conor McGregor of Ireland in their respective country of France. But they don't have the opportunity just yet because it is illegal. Uh, but going back to the question, 100% Carl Amasu should be in the UFC. Now that he's the, the, the welterweight champion, I, I would like to perhaps see him do, at least defend it once, uh, maybe before he jumps over to the UFC or if the UFC would even sign him. That's, that's a whole other can of worms right there. I mean, they just let, you know, Horiguchi go. Um, whose only defeat was to Demetrius Johnson. So who knows how the UFC's hiring and firing policy is and who they're going to let go and who they're going to re-sign and who they're really going to go after. You know, who brings something to the table. You know, I, don't, I still don't understand. I think a lot of us don't understand, you know, the um, 
the formula that WME IMG uh, put together when they're figuring out who they you know want to keep and who they want to let go. And you know, Kyle Amasu, as good as he is, and as as as, as a, a, a fantastic as a, as a fighter as he is, and he's literally a veteran of the sport at this at this stage of his career. He may not get that call up anytime soon. You know, who knows if what he's bringing to the table is what WME IMG wants. We just don't know. Um, what he's done though is he's aligned himself with the best route to the UFC, and that's Cage Warriors. They've got that partnership with the UFC. They're distributed on UFC Fight Pass. Um, we, you know, I saw on social media you were there, Simon. You, you almost had the uh, the old Cage Warriors alumni of fighters make a special appearance alongside John Gooden and Dan Hardy, and that was a nice little touch just to kind of bring a little uh, fan interaction type of um, session to the overall Cage Warriors event to, to kind of add little bells and whistles to it. So, um, you know, he's with the right organization. Uh, you know, Cage Warriors has got a long history of feeding the UFC, you know, the, the best of the, the bunch when it comes to European MMA talent. So if he's going to get to the UFC, this is going to be the route to do it. Definitely. I think, uh, I think that last count, the uh, I think Cage Warriors have sent seventy nine fighters into the UFC, which is which is pretty good going. And if you think that some of those some of those names include Dan Hardy, Michael Bisbing, Conor McGregor, Yoanny and Jacek, Ross Pearson, you know there's there's some there's some serious talent going into the UFC and sticking around. I think that's the, you know that's the most important thing. Getting into the UFC is one thing. Getting in and staying in. And not just getting blasted out of there and sent back from you know to uh, you know the uh, the regional scene. I think that's important as well. So it shows that if you come through the system, then you've got a good chance of sticking around because uh, Ian Dean, the matchmaker there, he does a very good job of putting on competitive fights that test the athletes involved. So, uh, but and, and it was a, it was an entertaining card. We had some surprise results on the night. Craig White defeated Thomas Robertson in the first bout of the main card. He's one to watch out for. He's uh, he's got he's got a good uh, a, a good outlook on fighting. He he goes in very much with his eyes open. He's not looking at this as a career. He's looking at it as a vocation. I think he treats it in many ways as as people do when they play football at a weekend. You know, he's got he knows that this is only going to be available to him for a certain amount of time. Um, and uh, it was interesting listening to him do some of his post fight interviews afterwards. Um, Craig the Thundercat White he needs to walk out to the Thundercat theme tune though that needs fixing I don't think he walks out to that Alexander Jacobson probably got the biggest shock of the night he defeated Tim Wilde via TKO Tim Wilde was lighting him up for about 3 minutes and 45 seconds of that first round then got hit with one punch and that finished the fight it was ridiculous Um, and uh, Jacobson wants to move up there and and challenge for the uh, the Cage Warriors title at lightweight, and I don't think, I don't think he's going to get there just yet. I think he might need another another win, but he was getting lit up. Tim Wilde looked really good, really good, and then and then he just got he got sucker punched, and uh, unfortunately he ended up on the wrong end of it. Frenchman Anthony Dizzy pulled off another shock, uh, beating Martin Stapleton via unanimous decision. Uh, fight just didn't go Stapleton's way. Um, and he admitted as much afterwards. He he wants to jump straight back in there. I think he wants to be on that Liverpool card later in the year at the Echo Arena, um, looking to put things right. Just wasn't wasn't the Martin Stapleton we're used to seeing for you know for whatever reason. Dizzy smothered him mostly for that fight. Co-main event: Brad Wheeler 
uh, a veteran of Cage Warriors defeated Warren Key, just a veteran of mixed martial arts. Warren Key, 43 years of age, Sandu, and still getting in there and, and doing it. And uh, all credit to him. He he's, uh, he's he's still he's still a solid competitor at 43. Uh, Brad Wheeler's been around for a long time. I think that might have been his 20th career win from 30 career fights. Um, and uh, he got the TKO lovely body shot. Baz Rutten would have loved it. Left left hand to the left hand liver shot. Game over. Absolutely folded him up like a deck chair. So second round finish for him. And obviously Carl Amasu beating Matt Inman in uh, three minutes, 13 seconds to win that vacant World Weight title. Um, really good fun event. If anyone in London wants to go and watch some live MMA... Cage Warriors aren't a bad aren't a bad show to go watch. The the the, uh, the setup at the uh, the Indigo at the O2, which is their new home, is pretty cool. Uh, for those for, uh, for anybody who's who who was at the UFC London weigh-ins last year, it's in there uh, at the Indigo, and the whole of the floor is standing room. It's just the standing area. Uh, the cage is up, up up on a stage. You get great sight lines, and you've got the uh, the uh, the seating uh, up above. In the uh, in the uh, the upper deck, so to speak, tickets were pretty cheap. I think it's like fifteen twenty quid. So really good night out. I, I couldn't I couldn't recommend it more. It was it was it was really good fun. Good fun night. And they're coming back. I think June the second. Graham Boylan said on the night. And if you want to watch that event back and you've got a USC Fight Pass subscription, you can do that um, and check out check out that event and 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 some of the other past Cage Warriors events. But uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what they do next. Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to ask you about that. I'm kind of glad you mentioned it because the last Cage Warriors event I went to was a couple of years back um, at Kentish Town, the Forum. Yes, uh, I think it was. And uh, actually, that was Joanna Yon Jacek's last fight on the regional circuit before she ended up getting signed uh, by the UFC. And I think on that very same show, Darren, the dentist Springer, uh, was also fighting on that particular card. And uh, and obviously, he's now with the UFC as well. So like you said, you know, it's just great to see, you know, Cage Warriors and, and Bama, you know, they're making their, you know, waves in various parts of the UK and Ireland, just helping cultivate that local talent, getting these fighters, the, the reps in, getting their, you know, records up and running so that they can hopefully make a name for themselves and, and hopefully one day get signed by the likes of the UFC or by the better tours of the world, you know, get some, you know, bigger paydays, bigger contracts fight on bigger stages, uh, both here on this side of the Atlantic and the other side as well. So good to see that the UFC and uh, Cage Warriors have got a good partnership there as a nice sort of feeder system. Yeah, and it looks as if they're looking to be pretty prolific as well. We're talking a show almost every three, four weeks by the sound of it. We've got, um, what's the next show that Cage Warriors are doing? They're doing Dublin at the Three Arena next month. They're then going to Liverpool, the Echo Arena, Paddy Pimblett headlining against uh, Nad Naramari for the Cage Warriors Featherweight Championship. That's, like that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight for Nad, Paddy. Nad Naramari is solid. So, yep. so that's going to be a good fight. And that's that's the main event, April 1st. Uh, and uh, uh, Graham Bullen announced during the, during the show on Saturday that they're coming back to the Indigo at the O2. I think they said June the 2nd. I think they said June the 2nd. And... Uh, they're making the Indigo their their home, and the way they staged the event was a little different. It's uh, got a bit of a party vibe to it. A lot of standing fans, 
They had a DJ deck there. Um, I think Paddy Pimlet might have done a bit of DJing on the night. I didn't. I wasn't. I was out back at the time, so I missed it. But uh, yeah, it was it was a good event. You know, I recommend recommend checking it out the next time they're in town. So yeah, that was Cage Warriors. Um, that is pretty much what we have in terms of the fighting uh, or sort of event based stuff for this weekend. But as always, you've been very kind and sent a whole load of questions into us. So now might be a, a good time to rip through uh, and uh, answer all your all your uh, pressing pressing questions in the world of mixed martial arts before we lock this one up and uh, yeah. head off for the week. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And as always, before I start, thank you everyone for for tweeting in. It's the Brit Pack MMA. Uh, that's the Twitter handle. Uh, feel free to shoot us questions uh, throughout the week, and I'll start to compile them before we start the show every Monday. So this week we start with Rydman, who says, do you think Lewis should fight Ngannou soon or wait up until they've both been beaten more or wait until they've beaten more of the division? Yeah. I've pretty much already answered that, Simon. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't think you want to kill your, your, your prospects off at this stage. I think especially in a division that's got a lot of aging aging guys at the top of the division you want to you want to build the the young guns so to speak i know Derek lewis is well in fact lewis and Ngannou, they're not young you know they're both in their 30s but they they they're both new contenders who they've still got plenty of upside so i think keep them apart for now and then if they meet in a number 1 contender fight fine if they meet in a championship fight fine but i think to put them against each other at this point, when they're both still rising prospects, if you like, or or emerging contenders, it doesn't really push the winner that far up. But what it does do is it pushes the loser quite a way down. So I think the upside doesn't really make make, make that feasible at this stage. I think Ngannou and Lewis needs to be fighting established, big-name opposition next, definitely. Stuart Tuckwell, um, he sent a couple of tweets in, and they're pretty much all about the the ultimate fire, the new season of Tough coming up. Um, so I'm going to try and read them all out in conjunction. Um, is the new series of the ultimate fire focusing too much on reality TV rather than giving good fighters a second chance? Is it surprising that more fighters from the last season of Tough weren't signed, especially with the likes of Horiguchi, Bagautinov and Makovsky being recently released. So, I mean, I I don't know about you, Simon. Like, I, I think I, I like the idea of the comeback season, but I think it's something they could have done a couple of years ago when everybody was really clamoring for it. I think this is a little bit too late. I don't really think I'm going to be watching it any more than I have watched any of the previous seasons. Having looked at the cast, yeah, there's some fun names in there. You've got, you know, um, the chap that kind of had the famous let me bang bro uh, line. Um, I think his name's Dwayne Lane, if, if memory serves me correctly, something along the lines of that. Um, you've got Seth Bezinski. You've got, you've got a few familiar names in there. I just don't – it's not doing it for me, Simon. Is, is it doing it for you? Are you going to be tuning in week in, week out on this season of The Ultimate Fire? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm a sucker for this stuff. Um, okay. But I, I am because – I'm looking at the list. There's some good guys. Mehdi Baghdad, Seth Brzezinski, Eddie Gordon, Haider Hassan. James Krause is, is, is the one contracted guy who's in there. I like James Krause as a fight. Diego Lima, Ranzi Nijim, 
Joe Daddy Stevenson is coming back after all these years. Hector Abina's an exciting fighter. I think this is going to shape up to be a really exciting tournament. If we forget the fact that it's a television program for a second, as a tournament, I think it will be quite exciting. I think we'll get some good, some good competitive action out of this particular season of the Ultimate Fighter. I don't necessarily think they've picked these guys for being great on TV. So that kind of answers the first the first part of that question that we had from Stuart. I just think that these are the guys that they could get. They've managed to mix in some young and old. You know, we've got Tough Tough 2 is represented in Joe Daddy Stevenson. And Tough 22 is represented in Medi Baghdad. So... We've got the gam, you know, we've got the full gam, and Tom Tom Galicio as well is from is from Tough Twenty Two. So we've got we've got a good spread of people over a reasonable length of time. I think it'll be interesting. Is it going to produce the next UFC uh, welterweight champion or lightweight champion? No, it isn't. Let's be honest. But what it is going to give us, I think, is an interesting season of of uh, tournament fighting, and and I think I think that'll be worth watching. So I'm looking forward to it. As in terms of the uh, the other part of the question, which was about um, why they didn't pick up more of those flyweights uh, and bring them into the UFC, that's a good question because the flyweight division right now is is not the deepest. But what you also need to bear in mind is none of those guys are going to be better than the top three or four in that division that they've already got. So all they're doing by bringing them in is padding out a division with fights that not a huge amount of people are going to be interested to watch. And that's not that's not belittling the flyweights as opposed to any other division. It just that that just seems to be the case that people are less interested in watching flyweights than they are watching light heavyweights. And you know the light heavyweight division's pretty thin. So I just I think that's what it is, but I don't know what they're doing with the roster right now. They're doing you know they made a lot of cuts um and I don't know, you know the thought occurred to me the other day, Sandy, that maybe they're moving towards having like a roster of stars and they're just going to rotate the stars and maybe thin the cards down a little bit um, and do it like that. I think that dilutes the product, but it allows them to sell on the basis of the stars being there. And they might think that they can still pull the same money, but I don't know if that's the great idea, if that is what they plan on doing, but you know, it it remains to be seen. Thing thing I think the bet you know, the best way to sort of assess what's going on with this ownership deal and, and the way they're dealing with the business is probably in about eight to ten months time. And they'll have been in, in place for about a year by then. And I think by then we'll have a better picture of exactly what they're looking to do. Because at the moment we're kind of it feels like we're in transition, doesn't it? It does. Um and but I think the one beneficiary out of this whole situation might be the likes of Bellator, might be the likes of Ryzen FF. Is that what they're called? Ryzen FF? Yeah, Fighting Federation, isn't it? Or something like that, yeah. Yeah, Ryzen FF. What a name. Um, you know, they just signed Horiguchi, you know, uh, which is great for them. You'll be fighting Gabby has- Garcia next then. Yeah, exactly. In an, in, in an open weight chat, or maybe uh, Baruto in, in the very first, uh, or, or, you know, Open weight tournament where you get two fires from the opposite ends of the scale uh, going up against it. Unbelievable. But um, look, you know, it's, it, like you said, Simon, we are in a state of transition at the moment. And um, it's just fascinating to see what, you know, it's almost like a daily occurrence. There's just new things that are happening all the time. 
uh, with the UFC, whether it's a production thing, whether it's a, you know, a fighter being cut or a fighter being signed, uh, or what kind of fights they're putting together from a matchmaking point of view. Um, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, but I do think this is going to be an interesting time for, for the likes of Bellator to jump in and, and and get as many of the free agents as they possibly can to try and even the playing field on an event by event basis. I think, like I think we spoke about it before. Um, I think Bellator are starting to put together a roster where you can put a main event like a, a Fedor versus Mitrion, that's going to get you eyeballs, that's going to get you media attention, that's going to uh, get your, perhaps, and had Fedor and Mitrion take, taken place this past weekend, that would have got the lion's share of the coverage of MMA this past weekend, without a doubt. Because that fight fell through, it kind of, the air out of the balloon just went, and it kind of just deflated, and then everybody was kind of focused on Sunday night straight away, pretty much. Um but yeah, interesting time, especially with the the, the renewal of the TV deal um, at the end of the year. That's going to be the big one. We'll see how that kind of plays out, and if the fighters can unionize and uh, you know get come together and see if they can get a piece of that pie, because uh, otherwise it looks like they that might be locked in for another decade. Um, well, there's a there's a question directed directly at you now, Simon, and this is from uh, our good friend Tracy Trudeau from Canada, uh, one of my favorite members of the MMA community. Dear Simon, your expert selection for all 80s walkout music for each of the UFC 209 main card fighters. Go on then, Si. You, you know, you, your, your Spotify playlist is one of my favorites to listen to, especially when I'm you know, flying across the Atlantic, especially for, for, a, for a UFC event. Can you put together some sort of walkout music for Tracy there from the top of your dome right now for maybe not the, the entire main card, but how about the main and co-main event? What kind of walkout music from the eighties would you pick out or cherry pick for these fighters? It's difficult. Cause my, my, my first pick for Tyron Woodley, uh, mama said, knock you out was going to be my pick until I realized right. that that got released in 1990 and immediately disqualified it. The reason why I was going to pick that is because I was at the first fight. I was at 205, and all you could hear during the fight was Mama Woodley from the front row, who was just around a corner from us, going, "You see him, Tyrone. You see him, Tyrone." And all and it was. It just reminded me. Just his mum was just basically screaming at him through the whole fight. It was. It was. It was quite something to see. So that was going to be my pick. Uh, I struggled. I, I went for Michael Jackson. I went for wannabe starting something. But Michael Jackson, it's a great track, and uh, Woodley feels like he always wants to be starting something with someone right now. So that kind of makes sense. Wonder Boy Thompson, there is only one song that Wonder Boy Thompson should walk out to, and that's the one that he does walk out to, which is Tenacious D's Wonder Boy. But if you had to swap it for an Aces tune, he is the karate kid grown up. So he needs to walk out to You're the Best Around by Joe Esposito. That is the pick for Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson. So, we've gone from Karate Kid. We're going to stay on the 80s movies tip with the co-main event. This is Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. Russia versus the United States of America. If I say to you, fighting, Russia, USA, 1980s movies, you've got to be thinking of Rocky IV. You've got to be thinking of Rocky IV. So, Khabib walks out to No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper which is one of my favourite all-time walkout songs. That has to be that. 
So you need something to play off that. So Tony Ferguson, I'd have him walking out to Living in America by James Brown. I think that would be a great pick. I think the crowd would love it. That would be my pick. I've gone through the rest of the main card, mate. I've got others. I've oh, got go others. for it, Simon. Don't let me stop you now. You're on a roll. Dan Kelly is fighting Rashad Evans. Rashad Evans is Sugar Rashad Evans, so he needs to come out to pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard. That would be my pick for him. Take the sexual references out of the song, please. Um, um, Dan Kelly can only walk out to Men at Work down under. It's stereotypical. I know it's predictable, but so am I. So, yeah, Dan Kelly walks out to Down Under by Men at Work. Lando Venata takes on David Tamer. That is going to be an absolute banger of a fight, by the way. I'm looking forward to that. Groovy Lando is going to walk out to Let's Groove by Earth, Wind and Fire, which is an absolute classic. If you are not familiar with the work of Earth, Wind and Fire, um, then you need to check them out. And I don't think I don't think Earth, Wind and Fire are a trio, by the way. So that doesn't mean there's someone called Earth and someone called Wind. Who'd want to be called Wind anyway? But... <laughs> Yeah, Let's Groove would be my pick for them. David Tamer, uh, I couldn't, I, there wasn't anything specific. I didn't want him to walk out to ABBA because he's Swedish. So I've, I've just given him a song that sort of fit him. So I'm having him walking out to some Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf. That would be my pick for him. I think it kind of fits his fighting style. Um, and uh, I assume this will be the opener or, or will be on the main card. Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt will be on the main card. Um, I can just picture Overeem walking out to Welcome to the Jungle by, by Guns N' Roses. I think that would, I think it just, it, I think it would, you know, the visual would be brilliant. Of this absolute hulk of a man walking out to Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Mark Hunt, um, he's got a sledgehammer for a left hand. He's got a sledgehammer for a right hand. So he needs to walk out to Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer. I know Ilya Latifi should be walking out to Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel because that is his nickname, but he's not on this fight card. So Mark Hunt can have that Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. So you go. I don't know. I don't think they've confirmed the actual official lineup, and they may. You know, there might be six fights on that main card, but they're the five fights I looked at, and I very quickly sort of ran down my my cheesy eighties playlist on Spotify and plucked those those ten songs out. So there you go. Hopefully that fits the bill. Well, I must say, Simon, I don't think I'm going to be able to listen and watch these fighters walk out to anything other than these songs. I might have to mute the TV and get your particular playlist ready and on the go when they start to walk out to the octagon because that was some fantastic stuff. And we'll put and it on the blog. Folks, we'll put it on the blog. Yeah, we'll put. I'll embed we'll put all it on the, the YouTube's on there, and then people can people can maybe maybe this might become a regular thing. Who knows? And uh, for those of you who do have a Spotify uh, account, I do highly recommend. Um, I think if you could just search Simon Head, you'll you'll find his playlist, and I'm sure he'll chuck it on the blog when uh, this podcast goes up, so you can find the link there. It is a fantastic playlist, I I, I must say. Uh, for those of you who like uh, fight music, uh, like some of the familiar songs you listen, you know, you you hear when you're at a UFC event, or some of the songs you hear. Uh, the fighters walk out to, or if you're just a fan of uh, some classic music from the 80s and 90s, then Simon Head's playlist is definitely going to be up your street. Um, I don't know how to transition from that, but we're going to transition from that, Simon. <laughs> uh, and, and that's going to be going now to our final question from Amir, who says, do you think 
who do you think, sorry, is the ideal matchup for Dan Hardy if he decides to return? Now, uh, I did ask Simon to refrain uh, from speaking about a particular moment during his uh, experience at Cage Warriors on Saturday night because I knew this question was coming up around the corner concerning Dan Hardy. So I guess, Simon, before we start to speculate on uh, on who we should, you know, or who we would want to see Dan Hardy fight should he make a comeback, there might be some listeners right now that may have not heard the news. So why don't you set it up for us? You're at Cage Warriors, uh, Dan Hardy, John Gooden, uh, and amongst a whole bunch of other current UFC fighters are in attendance in some sort of meet and greet fashion uh, for Cage Warriors, Cage Warriors, which I thought was a, a nice touch on their part. And then you got a chance to speak to Dan Hardy. So uh, why don't you take it away? Yeah, no, we managed to grab Dan. He was he was there as a guest at Cage Warriors and managed to uh managed to collar him just after he did uh, a fan meet and greet um with a load of the uh, former cage warriors stars of which of course he's one uh, former cage warriors star um and i asked him a load of questions about cage warriors and and all the rest of it and looking forward to the UFC London show and i kind of undenied about asking him about his fighting future because it's kind of cheesy now every time he gets in front of a, a camera or someone puts a microphone in front of his face it feels like everyone is just always pestering the guy about when's he going to come back, when's he going to come back, and it gets a bit tired after a while, but you've got to ask the question because you never know. And uh, I asked the question, and uh, he gave a very interesting answer. I, you know, I asked him, have you got any update? I know you were having, I know you were having some, um, some, some tests done, and uh, he said, yeah. I've had the tests. I've got the results. It's very positive. And to sort of keep it nice and short, he said, I feel confident. I've got the paperwork to prove that I can fight again. And everyone who was in the room was like, whoa, okay. So I I sort of pressed him on it and and got a bit more information on it. And, you know, he said, obviously, there's a lot of bridges that he's going to need to cross if he does it. He's got to decide who he wants to fight against. He needs to, he needs to get back in the testing pool. He needs to get back in the, in, in the, uh, the training regimen. I mean, he, he still trains, but he doesn't train fight camp level. So he'll need to get back into a fight camp. He, he was telling me he walks around at 185. Um, and I think he feels pretty confident he can make, make it down to 155. So, so I think that's probably the weight class he'd be looking at. He says he's never felt sort of stronger, leaner and more, psychologically sound than he's ever been um the one fight he doesn't want and won't take is mickey gall so i know as soon as the news went out a lot of people were tweeting said mickey gall can fight him then mickey gall can... that fight is not happening he's not going to fight mickey gall he said he's not interested in challenging for a belt or rankings or anything like that and he he said if i'm going to step in it'll be a big fight i'll step in have a good war and then i'll step back away again and get back into commentary as he said, he he feels that that's that's the that you know that's his place now, that's where he needs to be. That's where he can do the most for the sport. But his competitive juices are still there. I mean, he was bouncing around on his toes by the end of the interview because he he said he was in the car coming to the arena, uh, and he told his wife Lacey, uh, "I wish I was fighting on this card. I wish I was fighting on this card." He is itching to get back. He really is, and. Uh, it sounds like it'll probably be a one-shot deal. Come back, have one fight, and uh, and then go from there. 
and then you know just sort of jump back into commentary again. And I think you want someone who is ha- is of a similar age, perhaps, or a similar experience level. Someone who he can have a real tear up with, but has an has has that level of respect for. So the names that immediately leap out to me would be Diego Sanchez and Joe Lozon. You know those fighters of that ilk. Um, I think Lozon would be the arguably the trickier opponent. I think uh, he's he's got he's got better form than uh, Diego. I think over the last couple of years. Um, but I think a fight with either of those two guys would be would be dynamite. It would be great. It'd be very interesting. I think both sides of the coin would do a great job of of selling the fight in completely different ways. I think uh, Lozon's a fascinating character. Diego Sanchez is a fascinating character. So I think that's that's what the most likely thing. He's now got to go. Uh, Dan's got to go to the UFC now if he decides he wants to do this and say, "Here's my documentary proof." And I, I asked him after and said. Okay, how you know who's this? Who's this from? And he said it's from the best cardiologist in the country. Have given me this, um, and he's buzzing. Believe me, mate, he is buzzing at the prospect. And the final thing, because I'm going on about it now, um, I said to him at the end of the, at the end of the interview, I've got a hundred quid in my pocket, and um, I'm going to put the money down on you making a comeback by this time next year. Should I be putting that money down? And he said I'd put fifty quid of it down. He said, but I'd put all of it down if it was to make a comeback by the end of next year. So he seems pretty, pretty set that, and the reason why he said by the end of next year was just because of all of the legal, uh, sorry, the uh, the bureaucratic hoops that he'd have to jump through, USADA, and then getting everything ready in terms of his fight camp, test weight cuts and all that stuff. So it's exciting times, mate. Dan Hardy might, might. Be ready to make a, a one fight comeback. Yeah, I, I like Lozon and I like Sanchez, um, but I also want to throw Gilbert Melendez into the mix. Gilbert Melendez is someone who's also spent a lot of time uh, doing the analyst role, like Dan Hardy has uh, for ESPN and, and the like over stateside. And I think now it's for Fox Sports, and um, and and he's pretty much the same age as Dan Hardy, and I think stylistically. Um, it'll, it'll be a, a very pleasing on the eye type of fight. I think they'll both stand in the pocket and trade and, and kind of go at it for for three rounds. Melendez is ranked at the moment right outside of the top ten anyway. Um, he's definitely at the at the latter part of his career. I don't think he's going to be mixing it up with the likes of a Khabib Nurmagomedov or Tony Ferguson or Eddie Alvarez or any of, any of these guys anytime soon. Um, so, but to be honest with you, Sanchez, Melendez, Joe Lozon. Take your pick. I'm I'm all in. It's just great to see such a, uh, a massive uh, pioneer for UK MMA in Dan Hardy. Just give you just be given the choice to be able to want to fight again. You know, um, you know, to be able to, to to have something that you enjoy get taken away from you, um, and it's out of your control. Is uh, you know, it's not something that I've personally experienced before, but I'm sure it's something that really uh, gets you down and, and you know really disheartens you. And think of what he's done during the period of. Since he stopped fighting, you know, he's been an analyst, he's been a commentator, he's been a, a, a yachtsman on a round the world uh, trip. Um, he's done so much outside of the sport. Um, he's an author. He's got his own book. You know, so 
and who, and who knows, maybe the time away, maybe the rest, maybe um, stepping away from the punishment of grueling camps may have done his body good in terms of allowing it to heal and almost give him a second wind and give him some career longevity. You know, we'll see what GSP looks like when he comes back after, you know, three or three or three plus years out of the game. So, but the main thing is, uh, I think, you know, this being the Brit pack uh, and uh, us being British journalists, it's always good to see one of the Brits um, have some positive news and uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of questions thrown at Dan Hardy over the coming weeks and months as he tries to get, like you said, Simon, some of this red tape um, sorted out with the UFC. That was the final question. Uh, but before we go, I did want to bring up one question uh, that, I, that I think would be good for us to discuss. And it was there was some pretty big news um, that broke this week. And that's uh, GSP, George St. Pierre, has finally done a deal, got it sorted. He's back in the in the good graces of the UFC and they've sorted things out and uh, he's hashed out a new deal and he will be making a comeback. And it looks like he'll be um, at some stage in the third or fourth quarter of, of, uh, of, of 2017, which is fantastic, you know, arguably uh, the greatest of all time. You know, I know there's a lot of other goats in the discussion in the mix, but he's one um, that has not been besmirched by any performance enhancing drugs scandal. Um, he's as clean as a preacher sheets and um, GSP back in is great for business. You know, there's so many matchups you can make. Um, and I know, you know, th- you know, there's lots of uh, fancy matchmaking. And, and apparently, from what I hear, he's going to be um, speaking to the media a little bit later on this week. So I thought, Simon, before he does that, I thought perhaps you and me could just throw one fight out there um, just for speculation's sake, make a case for it. And then we'll see what eventually transpires in the coming weeks and months. So I'm going to throw this over to you first. If you are the UFC, and maybe you can see this from a few different angles. If you're the UFC, if you're George St. Pierre, if you're just a fan, if you're a member of the media, what, in your opinion, what would you, Simon Head, like to see and in terms of GSP's return fight in the UFC? I think if I was if I was sitting in the matchmaker's shoes right now, I think the fight that makes the most sense and the fight that makes the most business sense is the Anderson Silva fight. I think that's the fight that makes the most sense to me at this stage. I think um, to throw him back in in the welterweight title picture when the likes of Damian Meyer seems to have been waiting forever for a title shot, I think it muddies the waters a bit. I think it's, it, it creates a bit of a log jam where you're just throwing someone straight in there uh, who's been out of the sport for as long as he has. I don't necessarily think that that, even though he was the the champion and he went out as champion, um, given given the uh, given the the current sort of layout of that welterweight division, throwing him straight back in for a title shot at this stage might be a little bit a little bit unfair. Um, likewise. The opportunity to sling him in there with Michael Bisbing is is obviously there. He wants to fight Michael Bisbing. Michael Bisbing, quite understandably, would love to fight George St. Pierre because George St. Pierre is a retirement fight. You know, that's his pension plan. If he if he fights George St. Pierre, uh, and if I was Bisbing, I'd want that fight to either be during International Fight Week or in Montreal. 
you know, in in the biggest arena possible, um, because that that's that's your that's your pension plan. But you've also got Romero, Jacare, Musasi. You know, the, all these guys are queuing up to fight Bisbing. So again, for um, for for GSP to sort of jump in there muddies the waters a little bit. Not that I wouldn't love to see that fight, because I certainly would. I think business business reasons, and it's a fight that, as MMA fans, we've wanted to see for a long, long time. Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre. Granted, Silva is no longer at his peak, and GSP's coming off a three, nearly four-year layoff. Um, so he won't be at his peak either. But that's a superstar fight that doesn't doesn't cause any... Uh, divisional issues anywhere else. You get that fight done, and then you look to slot him in at middleweight or welterweight, whatever division it is he wants to compete in, or even lightweight. He was talking about. So, but yeah, that will be the fight I would make: Anderson Silva versus George Saint Pierre. Yeah, Anderson Silva, George Saint Pierre, good fight. It'll definitely be a blockbuster fight. It'll sell a lot of tickets. You know, get a lot of ratings, all that jazz. It just doesn't do it for me. So it did it for me four years ago. It did it for me around five years ago when they were both reigning supreme in their respective divisions. And you had the opportunity to make a super fight, a bona fide super fight, uh, where you had two reigning champions in both welterweight and middleweight both be going for it uh, at a catchweight. But doing that now, um, it, I don't know, just for me personally, it doesn't get the juices going. I think for me, the answer to this question is George St. Pierre is the one fighter. He's the one guy has carte blanche. I've got no problem with any fight. If it's Bisping, I've got no problem with it. If it's Conor McGregor, I've got no problem with it. If it's the the winner of the the Tyron Woodley Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight, I've got no problem with it. And it goes back to what I was saying before. He's arguably the greatest of all time. He's definitely the greatest welterweight champion of all time. He left as a champion, right? And it all comes down to what he wants. And I think from George St. Pierre's perspective, since he's been away... What's, ha- what's happened? He's seen Conor McGregor become the biggest superstar, the biggest draw in the game. So if he wants to fight him, and he's talked about going down to lightweight, he said that he can make that weight great. On paper, George St. Pierre versus Conor McGregor is the biggest fight the UFC could put on right now. That would sell the most tickets. That would be the biggest box office draw. That would break all pay-per-view records, bar none. That would that would get that would definitely get the job done, but also from George Saint Pierre's perspective, he's now seen Conor McGregor become a two weight champion. BJ Penn has been a two weight champion. Maybe there's a part of him that doesn't want to leave the sport unless he's also been able to add that to his resume. And I kind of go back to the Bisping factor, where I think that would be a very interesting fight stylistically where I think it could go either way. You know, you've got the 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 bigger man in Bisping. You've got George St. Pierre that would present a lot of problems for Bisping, especially when it comes to the, the wrestling aspect of the game. Um, but, you know, I go back to, you know, what you were saying before about, you know, Bisping having this pension plan. You know what? I've got no problem with Michael Bisping trying to cash out now, given how much of a, a you know, stalwart he's been for the sport you know he's like he said earlier on this week in, in an interview i think it was with either uh Errol hawani on the mma hour or it was subsequently with bloody elbow he's never had a million pound paycheck and you know what i'll be damned if i uh, hadn't if i if i personally as a brit um as a journalist of the, of the sport and also a fan um wasn't able to see uh, our best export in michael bisping 
be able to cash out while he still can as champion. If he rolls the dice with a fight against a Yol Romero and he doesn't have that belt around his waist, perhaps that opportunity with George St. Pierre goes away forever. So right now, to in a long-winded way to answer the question, it's all about what George St. Pierre wants. And it could be the biggest possible money fight in McGregor. It could be to go back to his old division and reign supreme there once again. It could be to become a, a two-way champion. Um, but for me, those options personally trump the Anderson Silver fight. And I think that's what's so fascinating about him coming back. There's just so many options on the table. And I think this is going to be a topic that's going to divide a lot of opinion. I've already seen people say, oh, we don't want to see the Nick Diaz rematch. But hey, the Nick Diaz rematch would also make a lot of money. And they've both been out for quite some time. And you'd like to think that that would be a pretty easy fight for GSP to come back to. Just kind of get some ring rust off and dust himself off a little bit against the Nick Diaz. So it's fascinating times, isn't it, Simon? You know, To see a George St. Pierre come back now when uh, McGregor's going to be out for um, God knows how long. And Ronda Rousey, who knows what's happening with her. Um, this is what the sport's all about. It's about having the bigger superstars actively in the UFC fighting, uh, being booked for fights, because that's what gets headlines. Uh, that's what gets so much, you know, water cooler mo moments on a Monday morning and gets, you know, our community debating and talking about a lot of different topics and areas. So it's going to be fascinating to see how things develop. Uh, and I'm sure this time next week we'll be able to dissect some, some stuff that GSP uh, says as he talks to the media later on this week. Yeah, there's so many good... F I mean, the thing is... I think whatever we're going to get, we're going to be pretty happy. I think the yeah. Conor McGregor fight, like if you said to me, okay, Simon, we are going to send you to cover George St. Pierre's next fight. If you want it to be the biggest fight possible, what fight is it going to be? It's going to be the Conor fight. I just don't see Conor yeah. fighting until next year. I just don't see it. Mm. Um, maybe they can use GSP to get Conor away from this boxing talk. Because GSP yeah. versus Connor is such a big fight, maybe they can they can pull the earnings up to a level where, whereas it might not be Mayweather level, it might well be at a level that makes it amenable enough to just put the Mayweather thing to bed at least for a while, and then get and, and get back in the octagon again. Who knows? The Bisbing fight as a Brit, I would love to see Bisbing uh, in, a, in a in a super fight. And that would be a super fight. And as you mentioned about the payday thing, completely agree. I think he deserves he deserves to get a good payday. He deserves it. Um, but there is also the meritocratic element of it, which is always in the back of my head, that if you're a champion, you've got to defend your belt against the next best guy. Um, and that's kind of a balancing act. And Bisbing isn't ducking these fights. He's freely said, I will fight all of them. But if GSP's available, I'd like him first, and I think that's completely understandable. And 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 I, you know, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, so, I actually think that that's the most likely fight, to be honest. Biz being GSP, I think that's the most likely mm. one. Um, but I think looking at everything, I just thought that the silver fight made more sense. Um, it might not be the top pick on on the list in terms of excitement, but I think I think it makes the most sense. Um, but yeah, if everything was possible, Sandu, it would have to be the Connor fight, wouldn't it? If everything, if everybody who was who was potentially in the mix, including Connor, 
and they all put their hand up and said, I want GSP next. That's a no-brainer decision, right? Conor McGregor Absolutely. versus GSP. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, I think this is a, a, a bit of a side topic area, but the whole idea of meritocracy, I think it's a, it's an interesting um, time in the sport because there's so many decisions being made that aren't based on meritocracy. And I think for, for the longest time, I was, like a lot of members of the media, just passionate about making sure things are done by the book, by by the numbers, who deserves it, who's earned it, by meritocracy. I think I'm just slowly starting to say, you know what, if this is the what the WME IMG owners want with this UFC product, if this is how they're going to run the ship, then fine. And if that's the rules that they want to play with, let's just, let's just talk and dissect and stipulate and speculate in, a, in and amongst the rules that they're now creating. Um, in a perfect world, yes, of course, you know, you want things done by who's ever earned the shot. If that was the case, we wouldn't have seen um, the Wonder Boy Thompson rematch. I'm a firm believer that if you don't, if you're a challenger and you don't get the job done, even if it's a draw, you don't get the job done. That should be Damien Meyer's next crack, you know. And so there's there's always things we can you know talk about when it comes to meritocracy. I think I'm slowly. And listen, maybe there might be some other fans and might be some other media members that feel the same way. I might be the minority. I'm not sure. I'm just slowly starting to drift away. Not too far. Not too far. I think the majority of the fights that we still see are still based on meritocracy. I just think it's the big blockbuster fights. What's going to sell the most tickets, put most bums on seats and get most pay-per-view draws, especially at a time when they're trying to generate as much revenue as possible. So, so many different angles to kind of come into this topic area and, and so many other fights, you know, especially when it comes to McGregor and, you know, whether Nick Diaz is going to come back and Nick Diaz and fascinating time, Simon, fascinating time. It is. I don't know why, but when you were talking then and you mentioned the, uh, the Wonder Boy Woodley rematch, it immediately made me think of Rocky. Rocky one was fighting as showbiz, right? It was Apollo Creed was the all conquering champion. He was bored with the guys he was fighting. Give me someone different. Give me someone new. Give me, you know, let's let's make a story out of this. Let's pluck this Italian guy out of nowhere and give him a go, you know? And that was Rocky 1. Then they drew at the end of Rocky, right? I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Rocky came out in like 1978, right? So <laughs> then we had Rocky 2. Rocky 2 was the rematch. You had to have a rematch. But at the end of Rocky 1, Apollo Creed's like, ain't going to be no rematch. Ain't going to be no rematch. Rocky 2, the rematch. It needed to happen. It wasn't, there wasn't a defined result. And that's what we've got with Wonder Boy, v. Thompson, uh, yeah, Wonder Boy versus uh, Woodley. And uh, yeah, it just made me grim because even then, you got <laughs> in, in, in the fictional world of, uh, of the world championship picture in the Rocky films, you had the first fight was basically a showbiz fight, a money fight, a fight that was made yeah. purely to serve the purposes of the promoter, who in that case was Apollo Creed because he was self-promoting, right? But then the second fight, Apollo Creed didn't want that fight. That was a rematch and he needed to be goaded into it. And that was because of the, the wave of support. It was, this guy deserves another go. You couldn't beat him first time. And eventually that ate away at Apollo Creed and he had to take the yeah. rematch. Um, it's interesting because that's what we've got. And uh, so I think with the, with fight sport, you do. it's hard not to have both. You need to have yeah. the showbiz angle. 
And I think you also need to have some element of credibility to it as well. And it's marrying up the two. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how how the, uh, the UFC's new owners balance that. And we might lean a little bit more towards the showbiz side, and that's that's fine. But I think you've got to maintain that strand of credibility there. Otherwise, you've just got the WWE with real punches. So, um, yeah. which will be a fun product. Don't get me wrong. And you know, but it won't be a sport anymore. And as a sports journalist of nearly well eighteen years, this that is the number one thing. That is the number one thing. So. You know, it, that for me is, is the thing that underpins everything. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. And, and I agree with you. GSP should fight whoever GSP wants to fight. He, he, earned, he earns this. He's earned that, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that when he does fight, it will be the biggest fight of the year, without question. And if he fights Conor McGregor, then oh my goodness me, there's going to be some buzz flying about. So uh, yeah, can't wait to see what he does next. And really looking forward to hearing what he has to say later this week. Well, I enjoyed that. That wasn't an official question sent into us, but I thought it would be remiss if we didn't mention it, as it was one of the biggest headline stories of the week. And um, and like I mentioned earlier on the show, Simon, a um, bit of a quiet week coming up. Uh, all we've got uh, in terms of uh, opportunity this week is we've got this Bellator press conference to go cover in central London tomorrow. There's there's no UFC event this upcoming weekend, uh, but I guess next weekend we will be previewing UFC 209, which takes place in Las Vegas the following weekend. And I'm and I'm sure we'll uh, have a, a lot of a lot more questions to answer in the in the Q and A segment as well. But as far as this week's Q and A, that's a wrap. And that's a wrap for show number 28 of the Brit Pack. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we will be back next Monday as, as we look ahead to UFC 209 and uh, we'll look back on the Bellator stuff. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Simon Head. Sandu is at Sandu MMA. And the show, and this is the place to tweet all your questions to, is at the Brit Pack MMA. Our website is thebritpackmma.com. And you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, via Stitcher, via Acast and via SoundCloud as well. Hope you enjoyed that. I did. And uh, we will speak to you in a week's time as we look ahead to UFC 209.